Thanks, Evie, and g'day, everyone. Uh, it is lovely to be looking at you and uh, not at that little, well, I can still see little green light on the camera, which is lovely to, to be connect with people on YouTube as well, uh, but it is proper, it's normal, it's good to have you in the room. We're going to pray and uh, jump into week two of uh, 1 Peter, so let's pray together. Faithful God, you caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Enable us now to read, mark, learn and inwardly digest them so that, encouraged and supported by your word, we may embrace and always hold firmly to the joyful hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, sorry to bring it up again, but uh, when lockdown was in full swing, one of those lockdown catch cries that we kept hearing time and time again is that we're all in this together. And uh, while there was a sense that that was true and comforting, hopefully, I think my lockdown kind of cynicism uh, made me kind of bring out that response that was like, yeah, right, we're all in this together. We're all in this together, says the influencer from their waterfront balcony, right, with their millions and millions of dollars worth of things, with their Amazon, Uber, Woolies, delivery drivers, pleasure to fulfil every wish of their command. We're all in this together, says the person who was, you know, stand-up paddleboarding this morning, compared to the person who was donning the week-old PPE to go and clean a hospital, uh, hoping uh, that their week-old PPE would hold up to the challenge. The kind of disconnect between the talk of we're all in this together and the reality of many people's lives just didn't uh, line up. And I wonder if sometimes it feels like that for you when it comes to the Christian life. Uh, you come to church and there's lots of talk about hope and joy and peace. And it can feel a little disconnected from the reality of your everyday life. But it doesn't really touch the experiences that you're languishing in. You hear of the permanent and the precious inheritance, the joy of Jesus' perfect future, and it can feel a little bit like pie in the sky when you die kind of stuff. And while I don't want to suggest that we'll rub out that disconnect in one fell swoop today, I do think that when we feel that disconnect, or when I feel the disconnect, the problem's with me rather than with what Jesus has done. The problem's of my creation and my limitations rather than the limitations of the gospel. And one of the great things of being in the letter of 1 Peter is that he really is at pains to make sure that that disconnect disappears. As he talks about the, the eternal and living hope that Jesus gives to all who would trust him for the forgiveness of their sins, who would be purchased by his precious blood shed on the cross, he is 
instantly concerned with connecting that to the reality of life in this world. To make sure that there isn't that disconnect. To acknowledge the the suffering in all kinds of trials, like he mentioned last week. And he leaps straight into uh, how this amazing hope, the salvation that we have in Jesus, how it connects and lands in your everyday life in this second half of chapter 1. The reality that Peter talks about is an eyes wide open, it's a head, heart and hands included reality that connects the dots of life and death and eternity to what is happening right here and now. In order that we would have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And so he begins with that extraordinary reality that we saw last week, God's saving purposes to give us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Chapter 1, verse 3, all of it is a merciful gift of His grace. All of it is the possession of those who have their faith in the Lord Jesus. And what we didn't really touch on last week was those last two verses in um, our passage, chapter 1, verse 10 to 12, where we see that what the prophets searched for, you can know. What the angels long for, you can have. It's extraordinary. It's the salvation that comes in Jesus, a living hope, a secure and eternal inheritance that is precious and is permanent. And so let's get straight to the implications, Peter says. Big truths, amazing hope. You can never be the same again. And this is what your life ought to look like, he says, in this next little chunk of his letter. And we know that we're getting to the implications because he jumps straight in with some very intense and firm commands. That's how these implications come to us. They come as commands. If this is true, this this must be what your life looks like. And so, they're the five commands in this passage, which you'll see on the screen. Hopefully, be holy, live reverently, love deeply, crave desirously. Now, just before we move on, the problem is, the way I've summarised things on the screen there, is that it looks like the implications of the Gospel is simply a list to tick off or a ladder to climb. And hopefully on the way through we'll see that's not the territory that we found ourselves in. This isn't a list to write down and think, this is what I'm going to achieve this week. All the way through we'll see this is the reality of a relationship with God to enjoy. So let's jump in. First one, hopefully, verse 13. Therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Uh, It's a, a great line that Peter gets straight into the action of, the action of the Christian life where this connects, where the rubber hits the road, is actually in your mind. Your mind is going to be at work. The battle for hope is a battle for your mind of what you're going to be consistently and consciously thinking about and filling your mind with and longing for. Um, 
the way that Peter talks about this, it's like um, in the old language, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. That makes more sense, doesn't it? Which is a picture of what? It's a picture of action. It's a picture of battle. It's a picture of running. There's going to be work to be done, a battle to be fought. It's the battle for hope and holiness that begins in your mind. Because it's in your mind that you set your hope on things. As you walk the Christian life, as you walk your everyday life, it is your mind that is hoping. It is your mind that is is set on something. And so make sure that your mind is set on the hope that you have in Jesus. That possession that you have when, when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. It is a careful and a consistent mindset that is sober. It's not erratic. It's not irrational. It is careful and it is clear. I wonder if you've ever seen that kind of consistent single-mindedness in someone. I think sometimes I see that single-mindedness in my daughter. Not necessarily of the hope of the gospel, though she has that for sure. Her single-mindedness tends to have to do with hippos. This is her favourite hippo. That's Fiona, the hippo who lives at Cincinnati Zoo. The good thing of the pandemic's been able to watch Fiona in action on webcams and the like. Fiona even has her own line of merch. You can buy Fiona the Hippo t-shirts. And my daughter loves to kind of bring everything back to hippos. And so her teacher experiences that fact, every kind of assignment that's set, that's set. My daughter likes to say, well, it's a bit like with hippos. And I wonder if that kind of single-mindedness is what Peter has in mind for the Christian, whose mind is so captured by the hope that they have in the Lord Jesus that they can't help but connect the dots of everything that they're seeing and experiencing in this world to the reality of Jesus and his grace. It's the single-mindedness that Jesus himself had, right? Well, he slept, he ate, he spoke, he walked, he rested, he wept. He did all the normal things of life. And as he did those things, woven through and shaping his words and driving his compassion, his perspective was his devotion to the will of his Father. Set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed when Jesus returns is like what C.S. Lewis said when he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because I see everything else by it. And to gird up the loins of your mind means to see everything in light of the risen and returning Lord Jesus and the hope that he gives. Hopefully, second, be holy. It goes on, verse 14, as obedient children, 
Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holiness starts with your mind. Think rightly, desire rightly, act rightly. You notice the the continuing focus on the mind? The contrast is uh, is with when you lived in ignorance, before you knew Jesus. Before you knew Jesus, your evil desires shaped your life. But now you need to be holy as He is holy. And that quote from Leviticus reminds us what God said to His rescued people uh, of Israel in Leviticus, that you should be holy, for I am holy. I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So when we think of holiness, we think of God's dazzling moral perfection. And the problem with that is that whenever people come in contact with the holiness of God in the Bible, they kind of fall on their face in front of Him. And so when Peter says, you should be holy, is that the picture of you walking down the street and people falling on their face in front of you because of your, your dazzling moral brilliance? Probably not. When God makes things holy, He sets them apart to be dedicated to His service. That's about growing in your moral perfection, even as you've been perfected in Jesus. But the sense here is being set apart and to be wholly dedicated to serving God. That's the kind of holiness Peter wants to see these people grow in looking more and more like Jesus, their lives demonstrably dedicated to His service each day. To be concerned for God and His ways, to be distinctly His, to wanting to see, wanting to see more and more His name hallowed and His will done and His kingdom come. Notice as Peter calls these people to be holy, again, he doesn't give them a program to be followed or a course to be studied. He doesn't give you a a list to tick off or a ladder to climb. He says, no, this is part of you being an obedient child, an adopted son or daughter of your heavenly Father in the Lord Jesus. This is how you get to enjoy a relationship with your Father, a a relationship of holiness. Dedicated to His service, growing more and more in your likeness of Jesus. And again, to be reminded that this isn't a list to tick off or a ladder to climb. Remember that it was... God himself who makes you holy. Chapter 1, verse 2. That by the Spirit, he sanctifies you. He sets you apart for his service, to be dedicated to him, to look more and more like Jesus every day. Secure as his child of grace forever. Hopefully, be holy. 
Number three, live reverently. He continues that relationship as you call on a father, verse 17, who judges each person's work impartially. So live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. The command is there in verse 17. Live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear. Walk the Christian life recognising who God is and who you are. That as adopted and beloved children, that doesn't mean that you take God lightly, that you approach him carelessly. Or you speak to him flippantly. a picture of enjoying him and approaching him with awe and reverence for who he is and what he has done for you in Jesus. One of the ways that you'll see this worked out if you fear God reverently is that you will submit your life to his word rather than standing over it in judgment. That when you hear God's word, you'll want to reverently accept it and be shaped by it, rather than speaking back to it as if you are on the same level as God. Which means that you don't mould God's word to fit your choices. You submit your choices to the authority of God's word. You don't cut out bits of God's word to suit your desires. You submit your desires to the authority and transforming power of God's word. That is how you live out your time in reverent fear for who God is and what God has done. which doesn't take the joy out of your relationship with God and it doesn't make God unapproachable but rather it allows you to enjoy the relationship as it was designed to be. It allows you to approach God in the right way, to enjoy Him with the right measure. I was trying to think of an illustration for this and of course it came back to lockdown TV viewing anyone seen the uh, the documentary Free Solo that won an Oscar which is about a, a guy named Alex who climbed this mountain, El Capitan in Yosemite National Park it's a 3,000 foot cliff and he was the first person to climb it without ropes he's attached to that cliff just with his hands and feet 
this wasn't the first day that Alex had seen the mountain. It wasn't like he approached the mountain without thinking about it first. He took a year to choreograph every single move of his fingers and toes. That's what it looked like to approach that mountain with reverent fear, knowing what it could do to him if he did it. Thoughtfulness and care. That's how you enjoy that climbing experience. (laughs) That's how you approach a monumental task like that. And it's the same with your relationship with God. With the activity of your mind, the engagement of your heart, with the care and the thoughtfulness that treats God as he's meant to be treated, as the one who will judge your life and who will judge all nations with justice. And if you want to know the right way to live before him, the kinds of things to consume your mind with as you approach him, Peter goes on to say, consider Jesus. Consider the seriousness with which God has treated you when he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for your sins. The perfect and sacrificial love of Jesus and his precious blood poured out on the cross for your sake. The eternal plan of God revealed in these times for you. That as you consider Jesus and all he has done, how could you possibly approach God lightly or carelessly or irreverently? His precious blood, the most substantial thing in the universe, has rescued you from the empty imprisonment of sin and selfishness. So approach and enjoy your relationship with God with that kind of fear and reverence. Number four, love deeply. So now that you have purified yourself, verse 22, by obeying the truth, so you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the thing that purifies you, the truth of God's word, his living and enduring word. This is the thing that so changes your heart that enables you to love the unlovely. And if you have a sincere love for each other, a love that comes from having a renewed heart by God's word and spirit, then what will you do? How will you show it? How do we demonstrate to the world that we've been so gripped by God's word and spirit, so changed by him forever? 
how do we demonstrate how valuable Jesus is and how much we owe to him? By loving one another deeply from the heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so if you want your heart to reflect his word by loving other people deeply, then you need to treasure them and be concerned for them and want to spend time with them and wanting and praying for and working for their good. Again, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? There's a command here to love deeply and if you've ever been in a relationship with another human being you know that commanding love isn't exactly the way it works you can command your kids to love each other as much as you like but you can't change their hearts So the key for us to love anyone with the kind of love that we've been loved with, the love of Jesus, is to have our hearts changed by his word and spirit. And so we pray that God would so change our hearts and fill us with his love that he has poured out by his spirit that we might overflow with the same kind of love for one another that he has shown to us. Finally, number five, if we're going to live out this hope, we need to crave desirously. That was as good as I could do. They mean the same thing, don't they? Crave cravingly. Crave more and more to know these truths and to be shaped by them. Verse of chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Those are the things that you need to take off. They have no place in the life of someone who has been transformed by the word and spirit of the living God. But positively, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation does this kind of life appear appeal to you is this the kind of church that you want to be part of is this the kind of christian life that you want to live hoping fully being holy loving one another living reverently well if that's the case you need to crave that spiritual milk that will enable you to grow up in your salvation. What is it about milk for a newborn baby? It's essential and it's sufficient. It's all they want and it's all they need to grow as a new person in this world. And so pray that God would give you the same kind of craving for his word and spirit. It's all I want. 
and it's all I need to grow up in my salvation, to be more like Jesus, now that I have tasted that the Lord is good. We taste his goodness in the gospel by what he has done for us. And having tasted it, we want it more and more. We want to feed on it daily. We want to dig into it and build our lives upon it and pray through it and talk about it so that we might grow up into Jesus who is our life. There's 61 days left this year. I wonder if this passage gives us something to chew on for those 61 days and beyond. Praying that the amazing hope that we have in Jesus, precious and permanent, might not be disconnected from our daily lives, but be seen and made evident by the way that we hope, by the holiness of our lives, by the reverent fear with which we treat our living God, and by craving his goodness more and more even as we seek to love each other deeply from the heart why don't I pray that we would indeed look like Jesus let's pray our father we do thank you so much for the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus and the precious and permanent hope that he gives to all who would trust in him so we pray that you would help us to walk in this hope to live in it that it would be seen in our lives in the way that we love in the way that we hunger for your word in the way that we treat you and, and approach you with reverent fear in our desire for holiness and to be dedicated to your service help us our father set our hope fully on Jesus for his sake and your glory.